0: Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Crossing Over, sponsored as always by Audible.com. Uh, with me in the studio is June Thomas, Slate's foreign editor. Hi, June. Hey, Dana. And, uh, all right, so I wish we had seen this movie together, because as I was saying, we could have collapsed into giggles side by side, but we saw it separately, and we have not said a word to each other about it yet, so I can't wait to hear what you thought. Um, Mm. Should we start with, this is going to take a little bit, but a plot summary of this very interwoven, multiple-storied
1: plot? My head is aching just thinking about it. I suppose the way to do it would be to kind of talk about the various groups of people who are involved?
0: Yeah, well, I guess we should start by saying that the theme of the movie that ties all, this is a little bit of a Crash-style, right, Babel-style yes. story, international yes. and, um, and you know, multi-threaded, and they all have to do with immigration and immigration status and um, a bunch of people in Los Angeles who are trying to get green cards, right. right? So we can safely say that, but then let's start off on some of these multiple subplots so that we can start <laughs> laughing at them pretty soon. Oh, indeed, indeed. Well, I guess it begins
1: with Harrison Ford. Oh, my God, doesn't he look old and sad? Why did he make this movie?
0: Poor Harrison Ford. Uh, that's a, that would be another whole podcast. It but but oh. through it all, even through the last Indiana Jones movie, which I didn't actually think was that bad, I always sort of enjoy Harrison Ford's presence. But mm-hmm. it's just too bad that neither he nor anyone could find their way out of this
1: no. morass. No. Well, he's Max Brogan, and he's a sort of grizzled ICE agent, ICE being the current sort of version of what's most commonly known as the INS. What's ICE stand for? Immigration and Customs Enforcement or something like that. Sorry.
0: I wonder why they changed it. It's not any less scary sounding than it was yeah, before.
1: Yeah, it was part of the whole Homeland Security kind of reorganization. But And let's see, his partner is one of my very favorite actors, Cliff Curtis, who plays, I'm having to look because he's... Isn't
0: Hamid his character's Hamid, name? Hamid,
1: yes. Hamid Barahari who is a Iranian, uh, although he has uh, become a, an American citizen. Do you want to say a word about Cliff Curtis? Oh, my God. I love Cliff Curtis. Cliff Curtis, one of my very favorite actors. I'm a little bit obsessed with actors who are kind of roving... People of color, you know, in terms of the casting that they get, who are sort of like utility
0: players exactly. for transnationalism. Exactly. And Cliff Curtis is completely one of those. I mean, when I hear yeah. his name, I think who the hell is Cliff Curtis? But yeah. when you see his face, you remember exactly who he is. And he's played exactly. Arabs. He's played
1: Indians. Uh, Iranians. Uh, he was a Colombian in Blow. And, uh, of course, he is a Maori. He has been in the great Maori films, uh, Once Were Warriors, and then, of course, there may be slightly less great, but still very affecting uh, Whale Rider. And he
0: was in um, uh, The Piano, too. So he's been so, in every... Basically, whenever there was a go-to Maori part yes. in a film that made it to our shores, he was yes. in it. And he has a great part in my life, which is that this movie that
1: I absolutely loved, Desperate Remedies, a, a New Zealand movie that I guess you could call a lesbian movie. And he played... The sort of the the heterosexual tempter, of course, you know, he was – his character wasn't exactly a, a hugely positive one in terms of the movie because he was – I believe in the movie they called him a half-cast, but he was so sexy. Did he uh, make
0: any successful conversions?
1: Uh, he almost made one for me. But um, <laughs> no, I don't think he was successful. It was essentially a sort of melodramatic love story between the women. But he was awesome and very sexy and he had pierced nipples, which – Somehow remain Maybe on my does, mind. Maybe still does. For all we know, we didn't see them in evidence in this <laughs> exactly. movie. Exactly. Okay. Oh, sorry. We got slightly sidetracked there. But so
0: those two are the ICE agents who yes. are responsible for you know following all these cases and, and tracking people down. Right. Right. And what are some of that we can't even touch on them all because there's too many. Yeah. But there's a there's a Korean family right, right with a young kid who's sort of getting mixed up with gangsters and yes. a story that really reminded me of the Grand Torino plot about mm-hmm. the uh, the Asian kid getting right. mixed up with gangsters. There's a actress who else? A, Australian actress. Oh, right. There's the, the white middle class imma, imma aspiration to a immigrant right. status who's right. played by Alice Eve, an Australian right. actress. I think trying she's to break British. She's British. Her,
1: her parents are. Oh, sorry. British her character's actresses. Australian, right. Yeah, her character's Australian. Um, and I thought she was pretty convincingly Australian, whereas the guy who plays a British uh, musician in a particularly unconvincing uh, storyline, I thought. I was sure was an American with a terrible British accent, but it turns out he is actually British. He's just bad at being himself. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And they're dating, although they appear to... Not talk very much.
0: But we have to say what happens in Alice Eve's storyline because that's one of the big I mean, it's one of the few watchable ones. Actually, this is something I wanted to tell you when I was watching is that you know how usually in these multi-storied movies, there's sort of some stories you prefer to others and you sort of dread the boring ones and you look forward to the good ones? You dreaded all of these equally pretty (laughs) much, I would say. But since Alice Eve and Ray Liotta's storyline at least had some nudity and a little bit of sex, you sort of dully look forward to it a little bit. So let's talk about what happens with her and Ray Liotta.
1: Right. So she has an appearance in she has to go to an ICE office to talk about her application for a change of status, which one gets the impression that actually was sincere, that she had requested an extension of her visa, although she sounded incredibly sort of boneheaded about it. But as she is leaving in great frustration, she crashes her car into some dude who, it transpires, uh, is in charge of adjudicating green card applications The movie is full of those kind of coincidences. Exactly. And as he's looking into her car to see how much that was damaged, he notices all these headshots and therefore realizes that she is seeking employment, which is not acceptable for somebody who's in the country on a tourist visa. And um, although he appears to be very friendly, he in fact puts it to her that she should be his sex slave. And in exchange, he will approve her green card application.
0: And they drive this bargain that has to be the most absurd. Nobody in their right mind would drive such a stupid bargain. No, have either of Have sex with them. me whenever I want for two months and I'll grant you a green card application. Neither of them have any sort of collateral or leverage against exactly. the other person. Yeah. And anyway, I think it's, it's sort of an excuse basically for some, some nude scenes, some right. sexual exploitation. The classic post-exploitation crying in the shower. You exactly. have to have that, right?
1: Totally, totally. Yes. And then he is married to a... Uh, apparently, an immigration attorney, a def- immigration defense attorney, uh, played by Ashley Judd, who is always, you know, a very likable actress who just has a ridiculous role in
0: this oh, one. Oh, yeah. I'm a big rooter for Ashley Judd. Mm-hmm. I think she's really underrated. But poor thing in this movie. She's just completely at sea. So in a separate story, she's trying to help a young African girl whose Nigeria. mother is dying of AIDS in Africa in Nigeria to get her immigration status and be adopted. And Ashley Judd ends up, since we're spoiling, adopting mm-hmm. this little girl. Right. Ashley Judd's sort of bona fides as a lover of third world immigrants is, is testified to by the fact that she always wears an Africa shaped pendant around her neck. Yeah, very in nineteen eighties. And very sort of Sarah Palin too. Remember the Alaska shaped earrings? Oh. <laughs>
1: Put that together. Yeah. Um, What else? Well, so Hamid's uh, parents, you know, his family is Iranian. He has a sister who was born here, which is uh, another kind of theme that runs through the movie of we're mostly dealing with uh, undocumented or, you know, overstayers, people whose status is illegal. But when they have kids who are born in this country, you know how you have some parts of the family that are legal and others who aren't, which is a huge problem. It's a very common problem.
0: And they do divide up families the Absolutely. way it happens in this movie, right? Um,
1: but it was just kind of presented in such a ham-handed way like everything else in this movie.
0: And we probably can't cover them all, but we should at least talk about that story. The, yes. um, are, they, are they Bangladeshi? Where are they yes. from, that family? Yes, they're Bangladeshi. Right. So there's a Bangladeshi family with a 15-year-old daughter played by Summer Bishil, who mm-hmm. was in Towelhead last year. I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw that. I didn't. But... Um, I sort of feel like, you know, she's the new emerging young, cute Muslim girl at the movies, and she's actually quite good in the role, but it's an utterly, utterly absurd story. So Mm -hmm. the movie actually opens, I think, on this scene, or it's very early on that this 15-year-old is reading an essay out loud in front of her English class, and the essay is sort of vaguely sympathizing with the 9-11 hijackers, and she's being booed by the class. Right. That scene is completely absurd and unrealistic as well. I mean, the worst teacher in the entire U.S. public school system (laughs) who's sort of letting all this, you know, profanity float through her class. Anyway, and so eventually the, uh, I guess it would be the Homeland Security Department comes after this 15-year-old confiscates her diary and decides to deport her with her entire family. Uh,
1: Well, but it essentially gives her a choice of, well, it gives her family a choice. No, I guess they give her the choice of deciding whether... The whole family will be deported or whether they will turn a blind eye to the uh, illegal status of the parents uh, and let one parent stay with the two U.S. born children. Uh, and in the end, the father stays with the two U.S. born children and the mother leaves with her which, um, again, happens in real
0: life. Does it possibly happen in real life, though, that a 15-year-old gets investigated by Homeland Security? for
1: No. Well, no. That that whole part of it was absolutely ridiculous. And this kind of compounding problem of, you know, one thing that was somewhat realistic, uh, although it's very hard to use the word realistic in the context of this movie, is that people who work in, uh, you know, in ICE, in all the kinds of, in anything that deals with immigrants and immigration applications often are immigrants themselves. The people who know about immigration are immigrants. And, uh, you know, it's often you become a citizen and then you go to work for ICE, what used to be INS. So it's very convincing that Hamid would be involved in in this kind of area. But, um, you know, just everything else about the whole whole thing is just so crazy and, and unconvincing.
0: Let's take a break for a word from our sponsor, and then I want to come back and hit on a couple of particularly silly and perhaps not so interesting but at least funny points in the movie. Right on. But first I wanted to mention that, um, as always, we are sponsored by Audible.com, which is the primary source for recorded books on the web. Yes. So we have a deal with them now that if you sign up for a membership um, by visiting www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler, that is through our show page, you get a free audiobook which you can keep whether or not you keep your membership. and uh, It's a 14-day trial membership, so even if you cancel after
1: 14 days and your credit card won't be charged, you get to keep the audio book that you have already downloaded.
0: You should also mention that you can go and, and browse what they have without actually joining so you can get a sense of what kind of things you might that might make it worth signing up for. And we have a, a recommendation sort of v- vaguely based on our theme of immigration from the movie, which would be a far better use of your time than seeing crossing over. And uh, it's a book called Brother, I'm Dying by Edwidge Danticat, which you know a bit more about than me. Yeah, Edwidge Danticat is from
1: Haiti and her, I believe it's her uncle, uh, was essentially died in immigration custody. And it's uh, a kind of typical tale of the sort of, you know, the mistreatment and the, just the kind of callousness toward people trying to enter the country. You know, immigration is such an important issue and so full of appalling miscarriages of justice that, uh, you know, let's have one that's real instead of right. the nonsense in this film.
0: Well, and back to our regularly scheduled programming, I would note in connection with these questions of the film being actually very vibrant and important ones, which is part of why the film is is so irritating, that just yesterday there was a breaking story in the the New York Times about a guy who was posing – a man from the Dominican Republic who was posing as an immigration lawyer with no credentials and had been counseling hundreds of people for a decade about how to get – a green card and get immigration status. He was just arrested yesterday and taken into custody. And I think a few of these people over the years, he had actually helped because, as you say, immigrants do tend to know a lot about how to get a green card. But, you know, as far as actual credentials, he, he had none whatsoever. It was yeah. a story that could easily have belonged in this movie. Right. And a lot of the premises, I mean, the premise okay, the premise of the 15-year-old girl being deported for the essay was absurd. But some mm. of the other ones could perfectly well have been interesting. The problem is you've got to have the writing. Right. We should mention that the writer-director, Wayne Kramer, is a guy who's made a couple of small, interesting movies and hopefully is, is not doomed to repeat ones like this. Exactly. In it's interesting, too, that he himself is an immigrant. And so... From South Africa. Right. Right. So I was
1: surprised that he was so kind of tin-eared about it. I don't know if you know, there's one let's talk about the the hold-up, the stick-up in the liquor oh, store. Oh, good. I'm
0: glad I wanted to get there. Well, I have, I have a theme to place that okay. in, which is the, this kind of absurd thing that I kept noticing emerging throughout the movie is that there would be very intense and extremely dramatically important conversations that would happen in circumstances that were so ridiculous. Some Basically, people would t- be talking to each other about some absolute crucial turning point in their lives, usually a life-or-death point, in some kind of absurd scenario. And the and the uh, the holdup is the, yes. the best example. You wanted to summarize the holdup?
1: Well, um, so... Uh, the, the Korean boy. The young Korean guy who has been, you know, he's being pulled between his very right-on, very righteous parents and basically gang members uh, who speak in this terrible street slang. Uh, and they take him to pop his cherry in his first liquor store holdup. A Korean liquor store, it must be said, in Koreatown. And as it happens, Hamid is in the store drunk as a skunk uh, but nevertheless so it transpires that i think there are there are five robbers hamid kills four of them and then he has this bizarre kind of <laughs> kind of confrontation with the, with the kid, essentially, who's...
0: Who's holding a woman at gunpoint the entire yes. time. This was my point about yes. the ridiculous conversation, yes. is that I would not be surprised if the pep talk that Hamid Cliff Curtis <laughs> gives this kid doesn't last for three or four minutes. Yes. The entire time, the kid is holding a gun to the head of a weeping Korean woman. And there seems to be no concern uh, right. whatsoever with getting her out of danger or even making her less scared or right. addressing her in any no, way. She's like a no, prop. No, exactly. She No, she has never even referred to. And and what Hamid is saying is not sort of along the order of please put down your gun and don't shoot that woman in the head. It's more like the sublime beauty of becoming part of this country, my country tis of thee, right? It's this patriotic pep
1: talk. Absolutely, because the next day the kid is going to have his swearing-in ceremony to be a naturalized U.S. citizen. And so, you know, yeah, it's not about crime or flying right. It's all about Dude, you don't want to, you know, get in the way of having your naturalization ceremony tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that is the, I mean, there's some terrible dialogue in the whole of the movie, but it's never worse than in that particular scene. Just
0: excruciating. <laughs> uh, you know, in the- I just kept thinking what a great comic moment it would be if the Korean woman sort of piped up during it. Excuse me. <laughs>
1: She sure Can we
0: pursue these abstractions at a different time? Quite. Some of the other silly conversations in the silly conversation theme were, remember when Hamid's sister is killed? We haven't even gotten into all no, that. right. And, uh, um, and he's sitting in the morgue right next to his sister's dead body. It yes. turns out later we find out that he was partly responsible for doing it and covering it up. But yes. at the moment, we don't know that. He's just a guy whose sister has just been shot to death mm-hmm. and he's sitting by her in a morgue. And there's this long conversation about like, who would be the best person to contact about this and that? Just, you know, sort of a, a cop, a yeah. procedural conversation. Right. Like as they're sitting over the dead body. It's so absurd.
1: Yes. Or there's the whole thing with um, you know, the Mel this is now I was gonna say Mel Gibson, the Harrison Ford character, in one of the first actions there's a raid on a a sewing factory, I think it is, and this young Mexican woman very conveniently, a family's from pretty much right across the border in Tijuana, it seems, tells him he must look after her child, he must call someone about her child. And he ends up getting this little boy and essentially taking a two, three-year-old boy and like taking him to his house and then driving across the border with him and taking him to his grandparents. I mean, not only is it unlikely, it's also really creepy.
0: It's and and certainly illegal, right?
1: <laughs> totally. I mean, I suppose there's so much, you know, the whole world of immigration is is fraught with with illegalities and lies. I mean, if you were to tell the truth in an immigration situation, you know, you'd never get into the country. But nevertheless,
0: yeah, I guess the idea is supposed to be that Max Brogan, his character, is always taking chances right. and pushing the law. But nonetheless, there's not a very clear sense in this movie of, of what the law actually is. I mean, right. that's part of the muddle-headedness yes. of the movie, I guess, is that if we sort of knew, you know, this is how things are supposed to be done and this is the interesting way that people are getting around it. Yeah. But instead, there's just all these odd coincidences. Oh, I happened to crash my car into the one person responsible for right. getting me a green card. Or the English- I Happened to hold up a grocery store in which, yes. you know, there's an immigration official with a gun hiding yes. behind a box.
1: Who's uh, drunken feeling guilty. Or the... The English guy is try his dodge. For some reason, he instead of trying to become a musician in the musical center of the world, London, he wants to do it in Los Angeles. But anyway, he tries to convince people that he's a religious Jew and he has a special need. It's, it's so ridiculous. It's crazy. And of course, he's completely unobservant. He's a he's an atheist. So he's he's claiming to be so religious. He doesn't know anything the ICE official brings in a rabbi who apparently just attempts to be sitting in the waiting room, who kind of tests him and, and essentially lies for him. I mean, he asks him to sing the mourner's kaddish. He sings something that's completely not the mourner's kaddish and thinks he's going to be busted. And the, the rabbi lies for him. I mean, it's another, you know, pulling the car into the into the green card adjudicator's car.
0: Which, frankly, that story about the British musician was so incredibly oh. boring that I could I could hardly yeah. go to the trouble to follow what was happening. Exactly. It was just so ridiculous. Immigration is such
1: an important issue. It's got such great stories. It's calling for the great immigration movie.
0: And this is certainly a well-meaning movie, which is yeah. why it feels a little bit mean to take it apart. It's it just, is. It's just not a, a clear-headed movie.
1: No. It's, and it's just not good. And I guess... The chances are that we're going to have, you know, the great immigration movie will be an indie movie because, you know, if you're talking about actresses and musicians, it's just it's no one can really relate to that nonsense. The movie's
0: never really able to balance, you know, the sort of moral weight of these of these different stories. And we're supposed to care as much about the, I thought, very unlikable Australian actress trying to get her green card through a sex deal with Ray Liotta as we are about the orphaned African child. Right. Actually, all of them are, are equally thin characters and we don't particularly care about any of their stories. True. Anyway, all right, enough harshing on the movie. Poor little movie. All right, Wayne Kramer, good luck and keep on making movies. Please don't let us stop you. So June, thank you for joining me for this Slate Spoiler Special. Thank you. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens.